Hello, my name is Ed Frawley. Today we're going to talk about how using food rewards can affect motivation while training your dog. If you're interested, I'll be doing a video podcast of this work and streaming it on our all-natural treat page on my website at Learberg.com and also on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and type in Learberg. What's nice about the video podcast is that you can actually see us working with dogs to explain the various concepts. Outside of normal feeding, there are two applications for using food with dogs. Food can be used as a reward or a motivator during your training, or food can be used in toys to pass time while the dog is alone. Every dog, no matter the age, the breed, the sex, the size, responds to two basic motivators. That is the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of displeasure. When food and treats are used properly, they'll become a powerful tool to motivate your dog during training or to occupy your dog's time when you're gone and he's alone. Many people don't give a lot of thought to the kind of treats that they use. They underestimate how important it is to vary the treats used in different applications. I must confess that I fell into this category many years ago. I started taking dog training seriously back in the dark ages of the 1960s when people like William Kohler or Winifred Strickland were considered experts in the field. Using food to train back then was almost unheard of. The argument was, well... If you train with food, at some point in time, you're going to have to stop, and what are you going to do then? Because you may not have food on you. Well, dog training has come light years from where it was back in the 60s, and that question has been answered. Kohler and Strickland have become the Model T Ford of the training industry. It's kind of like they got you around, but it wasn't very pretty. We've learned that when it's done properly, Motivating a dog with food creates a dog that enjoys training, wants to take part in the learning process, and a dog that becomes a problem solver. Using treats in your work also improves the bond between the dog and the handler. When a handler embraces the fact that he's going to use food in training, he must learn how to do this correctly, and marker training or clicker training is hands down the best way. I've written articles on my website about marker training, and it's on my DVDs. It was marker work that opened our eyes to the fact that different dog treats can produce different results in our training. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. So just as importantly as learning when and how to use food treats is learning what kind of food treats to use according to the criteria of what you're trying to train at the moment. Back in the early 1980s, my DVDs showed how to cut up small pieces of hot dogs and use them as treats during obedience training. And there's nothing wrong with doing that today. But in the past 25 years, we have seen a huge improvement in the number and the quality of dog treats that are available. Feeding dogs an all-natural diet has become popular because people like myself recognize the fact that most commercial dog food is crap. This was dramatically demonstrated with the recent pet food recall that killed thousands of dogs. In fact, over the last six or seven years, the popularity of feeding an all-natural diet 
has fueled an explosion of all-natural dog treats. Fifteen years ago, the only thing that was really available were those little multicolored dog biscuits that you can still buy today at Walmart or Kmart or the pet food warehouses. My dogs, having been fed a raw natural diet their entire life, won't even touch these things for good reason. God only knows what they're made of. But I won't go into that now. The good news is today we have a number of different options of all-natural dog treats. And you do need options for a number of reasons. For one thing, the treats that my dogs love may not be the treats that your dogs love. All treats carry a different motivational value for your dog. It's your job to constantly think about your dog's reaction when you use a specific food treat. Learn to read your dog's reaction to them. Some treats have so high of a value they cause a dog to stop thinking. Some dogs can't focus when they know you have a high-value treat in your hand. These high-value treats cannot be used as motivators on complex tasks that require a dog to think a lot because the dogs are so focused in on the treats. New trainers would think that the more difficult the task, the better the treat should be, and that's not the case. A difficult task requires a dog to focus on what he's doing and not focus on the food reward that's in your hand. So my point here is that some exercises do require lower value treats. Trainers need to be aware of these exercises and then be prepared to use the treat with the correct value for the work that you're doing at that moment in time. I will reward my dog for coming to me on a walk with a mid-level treat. In that circumstance, I don't mind if the treat is crunchy and it takes him a few chews to get it down his throat. It doesn't matter if it takes up a couple seconds, like liver biscotti is an excellent choice there. On the other hand, during marker training, I want my treats to be very easy to swallow. I want them to be gone almost instantly as soon as the dog gets them in his mouth. The softer treats, like Simon and Huey's soft training treats, are perfect for this because I don't want a dog to take time to chew a treat up, and that slows down the flow of the training. These are only a couple of examples, and as you gain experience, you will find many others. When we leave our dogs in a crate in our home, we try and offer our dogs something to do while they're in the crate. We use our imagination and try to mentally stimulate the dog by loading treats in one of our everlasting treat toys or the buster cubes or the other toys that we sell. Different treats work better for some toys than others. In fact... Dogs that are chow hounds usually figure out the game of how to empty one of these treat toys very quickly. These dogs need toys to be loaded with treats that don't come out very easily. I like the Sojo grain-free dog treats that are shaped like a biscuit or the Zooks treats that are shaped like beef jerky. The yummy chummies also fall into this category. Dogs need to work at it to get these treats out of toys. Now, dogs with less food drive need treats that come out easier. If you make it too difficult for these dogs, they simply quit and they won't try. So you need to fill a toy with treats that will dribble out of them. What we like to do is load a toy with one or two of the treats that don't come out very easily and then add kind of a trail mix of several other smaller treats 
so that the dog gets a varying random reward. This really seems to pique the dog's interest, and it motivates them to keep trying to get the treats out. If you've ever watched any of the documentaries on zoo animals, you'll find that the better zoos use their imagination to try and figure out different ways to feed their animals. They hide their food in logs or freeze the food in a big chunk of ice or a million other things just to keep the animals busy. Why can't we do the same kind of things with our dogs? Use your imagination. If you have to leave your dog in a crate while you're at work all day and you feed an all-natural diet like everyone should, why not take the everlasting treat toys that we sell and fill them with the dog's daily ration of hamburger and then freeze it overnight? This will keep your dog busy for hours. Now, some treats have a longer shelf life than others, so you need to take that into consideration. It's important if you carry treats in your coat or your pocket or your bait bag, some of it is going to sit there longer, and if it does, some treats will get slimy or moldy, but these are often the treats that the dogs can eat very quickly, so it's important to keep that in mind when you're using marker training. So the application of how you carry the treats and how long you intend to have them in your pocket or your bait bag needs to be a consideration in selecting a treat. Some treats take longer to eat than others. How long it takes a dog to eat a treat will have a bearing on when you use it in your training. We want our training, when we're doing marker training, to go very quickly, so we don't want a dog to sit there and have to chew a treat up for three or four seconds before he swallows it. We always recommend that if you buy a new treat for the first time, let your dog sample that treat as soon as you get it. Don't wait until you drive to a training class before letting the dog try the new dog treat. Check them out at home first. We try every treat we sell with our dogs before we make the decision to sell it in the business. But with this said, just because a product is labeled a dog treat does not mean that your dog agrees with the labeling. The first time we use a dog treat, we often find that before the dog actually eats it, he'll play around with it a little bit. It's like they need to convince themselves that this is indeed a new dog treat. Many times, once a dog eats a few dog treats, they decide that, hey, they're pretty darn good after all, and he downs them quicker. If you make the mistake of trying to use a new dog treat as a reward too soon during your training, you could find yourself standing around getting frustrated while you wait for your dog to eat the treat. This just breaks up the flow of what you're trying to do. Now I want to talk a little bit about our criteria in selecting a dog treat. We are always looking for new healthy treats to use on our training. When it comes to food rewards, variety is the spice of life. Changing the food reward keeps our dogs interested and they become more motivated to get a new and different tasty treat. So when we hear of a new treat, the first thing we do is review the ingredients. We are very particular in what we allow our dogs to eat for their main diet. We're not as critical when it comes to our dog treats. We will occasionally allow them a bit of doggy junk food in the treats because it's not like it's a huge part of their diet. So if, if ingredients look okay to us, then we'll buy some and we'll use them in our training. If our five or six dogs don't like these treats, we don't sell them. 
There's an article on my website. If you would like to read more about feeding a raw, all-natural diet, you can go there and learn an awful lot. It's quite extensive. Some dogs seem to be absolutely food-crazy chowhounds, while others seem to have much less of an interest in food. But with this said, as a general rule, every dog can have food drive. Some just have more than others. There are a lot of reasons why a dog wouldn't be interested in food or as interested as you would like him to be. First of all, dogs must be hungry if the food reward is to mean anything to them. So people who train with food should change their feeding schedule so they always feed the dog after the training and not before. When you begin this food training, start training with a high-value food reward, like pieces of steak. This will often trigger the dog's interest and motivate him to like training with food. There's nothing wrong with cutting up your steak leftovers into small chunks and using them. Once the dog has learned that food rewards are part of his training, you can then change to various all-natural treats that fit your training methods and needs. Some low-food-drive dogs are simply too fat. Not an uncommon problem with dog owners who love their dogs. For these overweight dogs, cutting back on their daily food rations is always a good idea. Dogs should never be free-fed. They should always be kept thin. And by thin, I mean there should be a definition between their rib cage and their loins. And the bottom line is, is that a thin dog is a healthier dog that lives longer. If you have a dog that's not fat but still doesn't have a high food drive... Letting that dog not get fed for the whole day is going to make that dog hungry. As a general rule, one would not want to go more than two days, though, without feeding. In studies with rats, there's a diminishing return on a rat's motivation and ability to learn after he's gone three days without eating. Don't get in the habit of feeding the dog right after you train, either. Wait for two or three hours. Some lazy dogs will pick up on the fact that right after training, they always get their nice big bowl of food. These dogs won't try as hard for a food reward because they know that one way or another, they're going to get fed real soon. It seems that this phenomena goes away if there's more than an hour break between training and feeding. So randomly increase and decrease the feeding times after you work your dog, but always make it longer than an hour. Dogs that aren't fat and don't have a lot of food drive may need to learn that all the food that they get comes from your hand. As I mentioned, we feed an all-natural diet. I have a young male that did not have a ton of food drive in the beginning, so I changed his diet to all hamburger. I let him go without eating for a whole day. Then, for the next four or five days, the only food that he got was the hamburger that came from my hand during marker training. During this initial work, if he zoned out and did not pay attention to me, I simply took him by the collar without saying a word, without any corrections. I put him in his dog crate, and I walked away for three or four minutes. Then I came back. That experience did wonders for this dog's food drive. After a week, we went back to his normal feeding schedules, and his food drive stayed the same. By the way, this same concept applies to a dog's toys. Teaching a dog that he can only play with toys when you give them to him, and after you're done with play, you always take them away, will build the drive and the motivation for the toy, 
which results in toys being able to be used as a motivator during training. If you have a dog that blows you off during your training, another approach is to simply stop, take the dog by the collar, put him in his dog crate. Then, go get another dog. We're always lucky because we have an unlimited supply of food hounds around here. And let the second dog come in and eat the dog's food from the bowl right in front of his dog crate. And then that first dog doesn't get any more food that day. Don't for a second think this doesn't save volumes to the dog you're training. You only need to do this a couple of times before he gets the picture. A caveat here is that you should get in the habit of feeding your dogs in your dog crates. When you do things like this and you build such drive for their food, you don't want to instigate a dog fight by allowing them to free feed or eat next to one another and start fighting. Let's talk about all-natural treats versus meat treats. You will probably find that cooked meat or raw meat cut up into small chunks are your dog's favorite food treats. Using them in training is great, but you may also get to the point where having to cut up meat every day is more than you care to deal with. This is where all-natural treats come into play. What we have found our dogs like is when we make a trail mix of dog treats. We will put cut-up pieces of meat and pieces of string cheese and several different kinds of all-natural treats in a plastic tub in our fridge. We then fill our bait bags from that tub. Then, when we go out to train, we randomly select a treat from our bait bag that has this trail mix. The variety of this random selection builds interest in our dogs because they never know what the next treat is going to be. I need to talk a little bit about the size of treats to use. This is important. Have you ever watched a dog eat a piece of steak? Unless the piece of meat is so huge, it's forced to chew it up. Most dogs virtually swallow the meat. I find myself thinking, hey, dummy, why didn't you chew on that a little bit more? It'd make it last a lot longer. But the fact is, in dogs, they derive pleasure from the physical act of eating. Your dog would get more pleasure out of cutting up the same chunk of meat into 30 little pieces and then being fed one at a time than he gets in having one big chunk where he almost swallows it. The correct size of food treat is the size of an eraser on the end of a pencil. We want our dogs to eat a treat as quickly as possible so we can move on in our training. Small treats also allow for multiple treats to be given one right after another, in sustained training. This is where we like to feed one treat after another treat after another treat to extend duration in an exercise, like the downstay. It's important that you understand that if you purchase treats that are good-sized treats when they come right out of the bag, you should break them up into small little bitty pieces. Perfect examples of this are the Zook treats or the Yummy Chummy treats. You can break some of these larger commercial treats into 10 small pieces. As I break mine up, I always wonder how many people don't really do this and they waste 90% of the training value by feeding the entire treat as one big chunk. By varying the amount and the placement of reward, 
you will affect the drive of the dog. Some treats allow trainers to jackpot their treats. This is where you will occasionally reward the dog with a number of treats all at one time, hence the name jackpot. This can be a real motivator for a dog who really does something good. It's on the same principle as winning a jackpot in the slot machines. If you are familiar with marker training, you know that the placement of where you give the food reward is a very important part of the learning process. By this I mean, if you're training the dog to do a hand touch, the reward is always placed on the hand that your dog touches with his nose. When trainers have a lower drive dog, simply making the dog move to get his reward will often increase motivation. Making it jump up a little will increase the drive. So on these dogs, the ones that are a little lower in drive, just don't stick the food in their mouth. Make them move for it. Movement will increase drive. I'd like to take a minute here, though, and talk about how timing of the food reward can affect performance. This will not apply to pet owners, but rather to people who intend to compete in various dog sports. By timing, I don't mean the concept of how a mark or a click for a behavior in marker training needs to come within one and a half seconds of the actual behavior. Rather, I want to pass on an interesting concept that is seen on studies with training rats. If a rat is trained to run through a maze and it's rewarded halfway through the maze every time with a food reward, and then that food reward is withheld, the rat will run the last half of the maze quicker than he normally did when he was rewarded halfway through. Now, how does this relate to your dog training? That's something you're going to have to think about. An agility routine is 30 seconds long. A Schutzend obedience routine is 15 minutes long. A Mondial ring routine is 45 minutes. If you compete in a dog sport, You can wrap your mind around this concept and experiment with ways to improve your dog's performance. I can't do this for you. This has to come from the trainer experimenting and thinking about what he has to get through. I want to talk about how you can use food to improve your dog's prey drive. Now, prey drive is the drive to chase and tug. Trainers can use a dog's prey drive as a reward in training. Some dogs are born with a great deal of prey drive. Some dogs have very little prey drive at all. Some dogs can have prey drive, but as soon as they have any idea that there's food around, the prey drive goes away. Morgy the Corgi, one of our house dogs, is a perfect example of that. She has prey drive, but she's a chow hound. The second she thinks that we have a food reward, her prey drive is gone. These kinds of dogs can have their prey drive increased with food. In my video podcast of this work, we demonstrate with a young puppy how quick movement with food in our hand triggers the puppy's prey drive. Now keep in mind here that this work is not using food as a reward, but as a method to build drive. Also, Putting a wad of high-value food treats in a sock and teaching the dog to play tug with the food sock also goes a long way towards teaching a low-prey-drive dog that has a lot of food drive how to play tug. Now, 
These methods are not going to work with people who have to do one of the biting sports where a dog has to have real serious prey drive to do the work. But this will work for people who want to compete in agility or obedience and use a prey tug game as a reward for the work with their dog. So in the end, every trainer needs to evaluate what his criteria is for training. I recommend that people make a list. Then break the exercises down into training steps. Put it on paper. Once they have done this, then they need to give some serious thought to how and when to use food as a reward. Should they use a high-value food reward or a medium-value food reward? They also need to know how their dog reacts to various food rewards. This can only be determined by constantly watching your dog and thinking about his reaction or his response to what you're asking him to do and how he reacts to the reward. No one can tell you what to do with your dog. You need to figure this out yourself by watching him, by learning from him. Make notes and think about the right way to do your training. Be prepared to experiment with food treats to learn how to control the motivation. If you're a new dog trainer, start by looking for the extreme treats. Look for the high-value treats. There can be more than one. With experience, you will learn to recognize subtleties of differences in how your dog reacts to mid-level treats. But again, make notes. That's how you're going to learn. In closing, I would recommend that you visit our video podcasts on iTunes or watch the streaming video on our website. I always post the audio podcast before the video podcast, so if it's not there right away, check back later. If you go to my website, I'm constantly adding little video clips that you can get a better idea of what the products are like that we sell. And a perfect example of this will be with our treat section. After listening to this podcast, it will mean something to you when you see the size of the treat, when you see how many smaller sections a larger treat can be broken into, and it will mean something to you when you see how hard or how soft a treat is, because dogs can eat the softer treats quicker, and that's good during certain training. We're in the process of setting up a box combination of treats where you can save a little money by buying a box set. You will also be able to learn what treats work best for your training and for your dogs, which ones they like. So again, thanks for listening. If you're new to my podcast, remember that Learberg.com is the largest dog training website on the Internet. It's well over 10,000 pages, and it has one of the most active dog training forums on the web. Our web discussion forum has over 150,000 searchable posts in its archives. Have a good day. Thank you.